0: Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1068. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeal, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Good
1: evening, guys.
2: Well, it is a good okay, evening. It is evening. Yeah. Is it a good evening? It's an evening. Listen, my radish is sprouted. Is it, is it sprouted. good?
1: My radish is sprouted. But how I are got, your tomatoes doing? Listen, my prediction game has never been stronger either. I got three three red- of nine on the AFL this week. So
2: you're getting the bad predictions out of your system. You're ready for the election. Yeah, everybody was. I think that's everybody screwed here. up
1: the AFL this week. Like every underdog won. Oh yeah, four underdogs it was crazy.
2: Won. Like it was nuts. Four underdogs won. Yeah. I know. It really screwed up my It's really been my, the week of the underdog.
1: Is what I'm trying to tell you, Corey.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Good. It's nice that you got a week all for yourself, Steve. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, no one more underdog than us middle-aged white guys, right? You <laughs> <laughs> just nailed us right there. Uh, you know what
2: really hurt me to my core is you included me yeah, I know. in that. Because you know, know what, what age you are middle right now? Like yeah. Middle. Yeah, man. yeah I'm it's nearing tough. old. But I was feeling young yesterday. I was at the Surge game.
0: Go Ooh. Surge. Calibri
2: Surge. Everybody in Che loves the Surge. I was at the Fuse Box, which is our nickname for the arena. Yeah. That's what we in we Che, that's what we call. <laughs> you mean your. That's what we call the yeah. arena. Yeah. Yeah. The fuse box. You were there with and your kids. It was kids. good. It was popping. Yeah. I was there with my kids. Yeah, they had they a good time. They enjoyed it. I, my youngest kid, not not the most keyed in sports fan. He kept shout. He really enjoyed chanting defense, but for both teams. Yeah. So, you oh, know, no. he was often trying to shut down the surge as well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know what I noticed? I, I,
0: all of the strategists were there, but you, Stephen Carter. Yeah, I was noticing. I, I was there. Zane was there. And our babies actually met yesterday.
1: Well, that's exciting. That is fantastic. Yeah, it was, but I was noticed exciting. That Real exciting. Corey, yeah, Corey you and Annalise were far. like texting back and forth. You know, you asked me where I was and I was, of course, in the bathroom. Um, but you guys, <laughs> you guys were texting Always. back and forth. Zane was also included in that chat. Didn't respond. Didn't once, engage. Didn't even nope. acknowledge it. It wasn't until there was a photograph of Zane and his and his wife and a child that we even knew that he was there because he was like in a box and he was like "fuck you, commoners."
2: To you YouTube. know what's the best part about that? The best part about that is I was like six rows behind Zane. Yeah, but Zane was six on rows.
0: the on the court. You were not on the court.
2: But he was on the court and. He just, you know, he wouldn't even turn was, around. I saw a few times when I texted him, he'd pick up his phone to look at yeah. it, and then he'd just put it back. No, it was the no most response.
1: unbelievable power play I've ever seen from the guy.
2: It was amazing. It was unreal. Yeah. He
1: was like, no, fuck you. I am I'm not even so acknowledging this is what
2: He's This is a big what somebody deal. on a central campaign does yeah. two days before exactly. an election.
1: He has no time for us callers. Yeah. That's for sure. Absolutely. And his court size seats. Yeah. yeah. Unwinding, yeah.
0: yeah, with his baby. uh Guys, we've got things to talk about other than sports. You want to talk it's about a, uh, whether or it's not a big day.
1: children should be allowed in council meetings? That sounds like right up your alley.
0: <laughs> Why would we want to talk about that right now?
1: Well, that's quite a throwback. <laughs> yeah, was <Well, just>, <laughs> ages ago, make you happy? Okay, I maybe have changed my grudge. position. Oh, okay. I haven't. Have you? No. Have you? No, I have not. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. I was just teasing okay. you a little there, Annalise. That was teasing. Yeah,
0: that that was a that was a real throwback. Yeah. Uh, guys, let's let's jump into it. Enough small talk. Um, e Day Eve. Today is E Day Eve. A month ago, you two, one of you, compared um, Rit Drop Eve to New Year's Eve. So tell me, twenty eight days have gone by. Election Day is tomorrow. What does E-Day Eve feel like when you're on a campaign? If if Rit Drop Eve is New Year's Eve, what is E-Day Eve?
1: Well, E-Day Eve is just, um, you know, it's the night before Christmas, really, except it's not the night before Christmas when you're a child. It's the night before Christmas when you're a parent right fucking nailed and, it and you're the parent <laughs> and you've got too. to take all you know you you, you gotta make sure the turkey's you gotta, ready you gotta make sure all the gifts are wrapped you haven't done you know you, Uncle Fred's coming over Uncle Fred's fucking drunk you don't like Uncle Fred he's coming over he's gonna you know there's gonna be all kinds of fucking havoc you're, you're just upset about it you're Spouse who hates uncle fred also hates aunt janine aunt janine's coming over too you got janine you got fred everybody's on edge everybody's just barking at each other you don't feel like you're ever going to sleep again you're trying to set up the kid's toy and the kid's toy keeps fucking breaking and you're thinking to yourself why how did i get myself into this situation i was single for so long it was so good i didn't have to host fuck all that's what that person is, that, that's what Election Eve is like. Did I get it okay, Corey?
2: Yeah, you did well. I, I think the other thing is there's those moments where you're just waiting. Oh, right? yeah. So, waiting for your kids to go to bed so you can start wrapping oh, the presents, yeah. putting them under the trees. And uh, unless you're a kid listening to this, in which case Santa Claus is real. And we, we don't want the magic to
1: die. Yeah, Annalise, Santa Claus is real. <laughs> why
0: are you being? Why are you being so nice to the kids right now after last
1: episode? Well, we got some feedback.
2: Um, <laughs> we got feedback. We got
1: some feedback, and
2: apparently, apparently, Stephen's choice words for the kids. Yeah, apparently, were, uh, you're not allowed. It's to not
1: call
0: nice when you call fourteen dildos. year olds. <laughs> that's, oh, there you go again. Oh. Um, okay, so that's that's what it feels like. How do you yeah. like? So you have a lot to do on no, e e or I is mean, that
2: like nervous, nervous feeling? It's like a lot of stuff is about to happen feeling. And there's a bunch of stuff that you've got to remember. But mostly it's remembering things you've got to do later. Right. And there's actually not a ton to do at that particular moment. So you're sitting around and you're. You're kind of just taking stock of things. You know, the funny thing is, Stephen and I were talking a little bit earlier on the phone about this upcoming recording and this episode. And Stephen said, fuck, I don't want to do this episode because this is the strategist. We like to talk strategy, but the tank feels almost dry. Like, I feel like we're going to be the pundits tonight. And what I said to him and what I believe is, yeah, but that's actually 100% accurate to the role of being a strategist the night before an election. Mm-hmm. You are unpacking it. You are second-guessing yourself, but you're not doing anything because there's nothing left to do. So you're shooting the shit. And uh, in 2012, when Stephen was running the, conservative ca- the PC campaign and I was running the liberal campaign, we literally were exchanging emails, uh, like not on the same campaign mm-hmm. on the day of the election, just being like, What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Yeah. Here's what I'm hearing. Because it doesn't fucking matter anymore. It's done. What this thing is, we talked a week ago about the cake being in the oven and you can still fuck up the cake. Mm-hmm. You almost can't fuck up the cake at this point. It's cooling like on the, the counter It's, over.
1: it's just cooling <laughs> on the <laughs> counter. <laughs> it's done.
2: If you don't put your bare ass in it, you're going to have a cake.
1: <laughs> Even then, it's still going to be okay. Having done that
2: <laughs> yeah, twice still, now. Exactly. Still a
1: cake. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Not it's, once, but
0: twice, Cardi. Okay.
1: Well, you know, the first time is an experiment. The second mm-hmm. time is a perversion. You know, so...
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Why Appreciate do you that. Say
0: things like that.
2: I thought you were going to say the first time was an accident, but <laughs> no, it's an experiment. <laughs> you know, unreasonable. Experiment.
0: Okay, well then let's <laughs> let's do what, uh, and you kind of just hit on it, Corey. But let's do what you kind of do on a central campaign on the day before or the or the, the day of E Day. Let's. Uh, Put on your pundit's hat. Let's dissect stuff. Let's talk about stuff. And uh, I, we've got some audience questions too. I didn't even actually ask the audience for questions. No, Corey did. Uh, someone did. Fucking someone, did. Corey did. Yeah. <laughs> someone did Chester. using Twitter. So yeah. that was bizarre. Um, so I don't. Where, where do we want to? Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with predictions, or do you want to dissect it's, the last twenty-eight days? Bring, to Start.
1: Bring in the bring in the stuff that's happening this weekend first, and then we like what. Let's talk about advance, and then okay. we'll get into predictions. Like there has to be something for us to base Carter. the
2: predictions on. Carter is trying to put off predictions as long as As long as, long possible. as humanly possible. As we're we're humanly doing possible.
1: predictions tonight. Yeah, FYI, that's fine. No, it's, it's fine. Happening. We always answer the questions you ask, as evidenced by last yes, episode. No, no worries. Yeah, You, no, yeah. you yeah. never do. Okay. okay,
0: let's start with advanced vote numbers. Uh, what do they mean? So 2023, 758,550. 2019, 696,000. So a 9% increase. But Corey, I know you've got some population Stats.
2: Yeah. Well the overall population of the province grew by, I think, about six percent. I don't have it in front of me. point. I don't know yeah. I don't know what the voting population grew by, but I guess what I would say is it looks like it's just almost linear. Like it's just tracking within a reasonable margin to what yeah, you know, the turnout percent going to advance polls who went in twenty nineteen. But let's be really clear, twenty nineteen was The high watermark for voter turnout in this province since 1982, it was 67% of the vote. It was a significant amount of turnout. So if we're even just on track for that, that's still a pretty well-turned-out election in Alberta. I mean, I can certainly remember many, when I was younger, uh, being a middle-aged man like Stephen, where turnout was in the 40s, 45%, 47%. And so um, it's no doubt, like this is a big number. It's not a ton bigger than last time, but that doesn't mean it's not a big number.
1: No, I mean, and I think that I expected it to grow more. I mean, uh, Elections Alberta had indicated that they were preparing for 50% of the election, of the electorate to come out in advance. They, We've done everything that we can. It's it's easier to vote this this election than it was in the last election. Um, so we, we have huge advanced voter turnout, uh, as Corey's indicated, but I'm, I'm thinking that it might be a higher percentage of the overall voter turnout. And that's something that I'm going to be watching tomorrow is, you know, do another million people vote or do another 800,000 people vote? Uh, because yeah. if it's a million, then we get another 1.8 million person voting exercise. That's, that's big. Anything million or higher is interesting. Anything 800,000 or lower also very interesting because the, the turnout will have, tur- you know, dropped considerably. The numbers between 800 and, and a million, I mean, I think you're, I mean, who knows then? Because all hell's going to break loose as we move along. But because Elections Alberta was so convinced that they were going to see 50% of the vote, electorate vote in advance, it has it has sparked my interest to see what percentage it actually is. If Is it 40%, 45%, 50%? Uh, I, I'd be shocked if it was over 50%. That would mean a significant drop, but uh, you know, somewhere between 40-45 could get really interesting.
2: Well, and and will it? What does it mean? One of the things that I think there's something I feel, but Stephen, I'm I'm curious what your Your observations are too, and maybe you've got a little better sense of how the data has unfolded yeah. in the past few years, but it used to be when advanced polling was more of a, a privilege it's something that not everybody did. It was only a couple of days and you you had to go to that one station in your in your riding <laughs> yeah. you know everybody With, kind it, of with like an that.
1: excuse <laughs> yeah,
2: it often skewed conservative right right you you sort of expected that conservative voters would use the advance polls and so when the advance came in unless you had a campaign like i remember uh darshan kang in 2012 right where just like huge waves of voters came in because he pushed people to the advance polls you generally expected advance to be a little conservative but over the past decade what's happened is it's become increasingly perceived as uh avenue for progressive votes That kind of makes sense. As you loosen it up, all of a sudden you have people whose jobs don't necessarily lend them to just being able to go and vote whenever they want on a random Monday, so they're picking a different day, or maybe they've got family obligations they've got to take care of. People you traditionally think of as more progressive voters. But on top of that, when we threw COVID-19 in the middle, there was this discourse in the United States, which I think has somewhat permeated into Canada, that, you know, advanced polling is for liberals, or if you're a conservative, more negatively, there's Mm -hmm. something nefarious about advanced polling. And you want to show up on election day, because that's when you know your vote's going to be counted, right? You don't have to worry about those voting machines and all of that. Not huge, but I still think it's floating out there. And so, when we talk about how big the advance poll is relative to the day of vote, 10 years ago, that would probably mean something different than it means today. But right now, it probably means if the advance vote is bigger than the day of vote, advantage NDP.
1: Well, and, and let's let's break it apart a little bit that would prove this a little bit more than just kind of the hypothesis. We know that in Calgary, the advance vote is, is somewhere. Well, I'm not going to count Calgary Cross, Calgary East, some of the Northeast ridings. Are, they still have relatively low voter turnout. Uh, in the advanced polls, four and five, six percent. Um, but in the more populous ridings uh, or the, the more voter turnout ridings, the ridings where we expect to see higher voter turnout, uh, we're seeing voter turnout uh, in ten twelve thousand 12,000 votes, almost 50 percent of the total number of expected votes. Some places are as high in advanced polls. In
0: the advanced, you're advanced
1: polls right now, yeah. some of the ridings have up to 14,000, 15,000 votes already cast. In those specific ridings. What is that telling us? It's telling and, and let's compare that to rural. Rural is saying three and four thousand votes. In you know, so if we go and say, Okay, the rural vote is probably more conservative. You know, I think we can mm-hmm. accept that. I think that we're, we can accept that as a truism. Then, then we know that the, the conservative vote isn't necessarily voting in the same uh, you know, same percentage. What the expectation for me now is, because we're going to see the, co- the vote count on uh, tomorrow night, it's going to come in advance polls first. We may see a situation, and if we don't see this, this will be the very first key that we're in for a, a bad night for the NDP. We may see a situation where 50 to 55 seats... Are immediately NDP, and it looks like it's going It'll to be, be a significant, mirage, yeah. a significant NDP uh, breakthrough. Uh, and then, as the election day vote comes in, you're going to start to see, you know, things kind of chopping down. And the question will be, how far will they chop down, right? So expect that tomorrow. We we do know, well, what I have been told by people in both camps is that the advance poll uh, is skewing to the NDP. Especially in Calgary. So I will expect to see that big jump. If we don't see it, then it's going to be very clear in that first five minutes, you know, Annalise, when we're sitting at the National, the National on 10th, uh, where um, your company is not buying everybody drinks uh, to start with.
2: Why did you just wink? Are they actually buying them drinks? I don't know. Uh, now I think they might I, I, That
1: might have just been my sphincter. Uh, oh. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, so tomorrow night, Carter and I will be sitting beside each other at National on test.
1: At 8 o'clock, and people will come yeah. down. And at 8.05, it might be over, because the NDP would be ahead in four ridings after the advance, in which case, you know, I think that free drinks will be on Annalise's Champion Company. I mean, if it goes that oh, bad... that be fine, because
2: everyone will leave yeah, right away. because everybody yeah. will just
1: go home and cry. Um, but that's that's the very first number that I'm going to be looking for, because that is... Going to be indicative, and we now know. Okay, ca- so Carter, much just more. pause because you
0: you've been all over
1: the place. What is no, the I first haven't. number you
0: will be looking for? Just it's just in like the number of a one that the NDP
1: yes. is in. It. Everybody else, everybody else got this, Annalise. I need you to keep up, okay? <laughs> the, it, at, the number of ridings, the number of writings that the NDP is in in, ahead in after the advance vote. We'll be after looking for, the advance yeah, vote, we'll be looking at about fifty-five, and we'll know right away because the advance votes are being done by ta- by the tabulators.
2: Yeah, um, certainly my expectation as well. It was something we were talking about in the... Rehearsals at CBC. Oh, yeah, today, Corey, I'm on, tell us I'm where you'll CBC be tomorrow radio, night. So you can be anywhere and you can hang out with me, unlike these two elitists who are, can come see us in to person a, to a bar yeah. With, yeah. with
0: real people. Yeah. Or you can be uh, uh, home alone uh, uh, listening
1: to the radio, listening to Corey. That, you know what? I'm kind of leaning on. towards that myself right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Carter's going to be in the bathroom on He's going to be in, in the Nashville. bathroom.
2: <laughs> bathroom on his radio. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> no, I, I think that's what Stephen said is right. We don't necessarily know with 100% certainty that the advanced boat's going to have that kind of NDP skew. But both camps expect it, and so if it doesn't come in with that NDP skew, you know, I think both camps will be reading into it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be one of our first early signs here. And we'll just, we'll have to see. Okay,
0: well, now that we're talking about our plans for tomorrow, what else will you be looking for tomorrow in addition to those advanced vote numbers?
1: Well, I mean, there's there's these great big swing areas, right? So we had Stephen Harper show up yesterday in uh, Calgary Acadia and Calgary Pagan. Now, I don't think any of us had Pagan on our dance sheet before we started uh, this week, really. But Pagan has suddenly showed up on a number of dance sheets. And I think that Pagan is starting to become more... uh, <laughs> more in play. In play, we started to see like the former MLA from Fish Creek is now door knocking in Pagan. Uh, Stephen Harper showed up in Pagan. There's a lot more social media about Pagan. The leaders have both been to Pagan. You know all of the sh- all of the things we've talked about in a number of def- different episodes are showing that Pagan may be in play now. It may not be. Probably isn't. But if you start to see big shifts in Pagan, then you know. So Pagan, Acadia, Glenmore, Northwest, Foothills, Edgemont, uh, um, East, all of those ones in Calgary, if you start to see any of them switch back to blue or go blue after those advanced poles come in orange, then it's going to be a longer, harder path. And, have, of course, the four ridings in the... In the donut, um, which again I still think is a horseshoe, but Lou has now threatened physical violence if we refer to it as such. <laughs> He's on edge, Corey. He's on edge. Um, so we, well, should, you know, just just pull a
0: Corey and call it a made-up name and repeat it all the time and put it on merch. Carter, just do that.
1: Oh yeah,
2: this is about the fuse box, I assume. Yeah, the no, fuse box. Because so I think it's going to catch on. It's to about the Crescent Heights
1: yeah. East is what it's about, Corey.
2: Well, we call it Che, but no yeah. one yeah, calls it yeah, we
1: Che. We've sold multiple T-shirts. Um,
2: we have sold, two. Uh, guys. Two. Guys, we've sold more than a few J T shirts. I just want lot. you to know that. <laughs> been been a means
1: yeah. um, that means
0: three. That means three, and one was more a giveaway.
1: Than a few, at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Carter,
0: interrupted you there. What were you? You were talking about point. the donut. I got to You were no, talking, talking about the. I. You were talking about the donuts.
1: I'm just going to turn my camera off here for a second and mute myself. No reason. Yeah, Where's the camera? There it is. Hang on. Okay, I'll be back in a second.
2: I, honestly, he he actually did beaut himself. So I I don't know if he's coming back or not. But um,
1: what are you looking for tomorrow? Corey? It was just gas. It was just gas. It was touch and go. I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't even think I should have done that. It was fine. It Why was did fine. you? Okay.
2: What am I looking for? Um, oh God, I don't want to see anything ever again after that display, <laughs> Stephen. Um, what am I looking for? I'm I my bellwethers remain the same. Like listen, Pagan could be very interesting. Because if I see that going NDP in a way that seems solid and real, it sort of feels like... Solid
1: and real well, that is wasn't not even... what we're calling my bowel movements, by the way.
2: <laughs> not, not necessary. Um, just If Pegan goes, though, then I think that it's going to be a pretty good night for the NDP. But I still think the true bellwethers, the true tipping points are probably Calgary Glenmore and Calgary Acadia. And if Calgary, Glenmore and Acadia go NDP or maintain an NDP lead, even as the UCP vote comes in, if the advance vote does turn out the way we think, well, then I think that the balance of probabilities is it's an NDP government. My thinking hasn't really fundamentally changed on that, although I do wonder if we've all been so hyper fixated on Calgary, we are forgetting about how the math being this close means... You need to win in both Lethbridge's, not just one of them. You need to win those seats in uh, the Horseshoe, as Stephen likes to call it, outside of mm-hmm. Edmonton. I call it the Donut. Lou, take it up with Stephen. Oh I like Donut personally. Yeah. But uh, you know, the places like Lesser Slave Lake, the places like Banff, Canadaskis, the places that are not a gimme, but are possibilities. You do want to be competitive in them as well, because uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough road to walk for the NDP. But Glenmore and Acadia. Those are my two bellwriters. Well, and
1: again, though, Banff Cananaskis, we saw Danielle Smith spend uh, two days up there uh, in the last three. So,
2: Well, it's a beautiful
1: country. I, can understand I mean, it's more. fantastic. Why wouldn't you want to go up well, there? Well, yeah. we, did, we didn't go bike riding today. We went yesterday, but uh, it was fantastic.
0: I, I saw a picture of you on a bike today wearing a fedora.
1: Yeah, we went and got some uh, gardening things. This is who I am now, apparently. I I garden.
0: Old man. Okay. Yeah. Um... Okay, let's. I mean, both of you have kind of said couple. Let's talk about polling. Let's talk oh, about polling good. right now because that is a big thing that people on the internet are talking about. Um, and I this, yeah. I guess what what are your, pundit hats? What are your thoughts on where we're at with polling right now, Carter?
1: Uh, I mean, top line numbers are never so. If uh, political professionals rely less on top line numbers, then. Anybody else in politics. Right. So pollsters rely on top lines. Journalists rely on top lines. They just, you know, and you know who else? The the prognosticators rely on top lines and then they plug them all into their into their little models and they come up with anticipated results. But ridings don't necessarily perform in lockstep with, with top lines. Uh, top lines and ridings are very, very different. Uh, I will remind people in 2012, not exactly zero pollsters got this. Um, the, none of them predicted a PC my, majority government. Uh, and we came in with 63 seats. Uh, is, this, is this 2012? Maybe not. You know, we haven't seen as much shifting, but what I can tell you is that the ridings, when you start to poke in at some of the numbers underneath it, you see visible minorities, which we talked about last time. You see women. Janet Brown's poll had women one point apart for uh, NDP and UCP. No other poll, no other poll that has been produced has that kind of, uh, kind of element. Now, some may say you can't look at the components of these polls and project, you know, and say that they're, you know, this is the statistical reality. But if the components don't make sense, oftentimes the actual top lines don't make sense. And I will use poor Quito Maggie as an example. The components of his poll in 2017 were wrong. They were wrong. People, You're talking about from municipal. For municipal. When people looked at them, they said, this does not make sense. And you know what? Turns out he was wrong, Right. The components in this particular campaign tell a different story than the story that is being told by the top lines, especially in Calgary. I'm going to go with Mark Henry's poll. I think that his oversampling of Calgary of a thousand plus people, dividing it up by quadrant, reflect more of the racial diversity of Calgary and also reflected some of the, um, the trends and strengths that we are seeing on the ground far better than the other polls have that have been released this week, that have gotten more attention. And there's also something, and Corey may be able to speak to this a little bit more, but it's kind of a you know a move back to the mean that occurs with um, with pollsters, where you'll start to see some divergence from them, and then they will start to, as the election date gets closer, all of a sudden all come up with the same numbers. And that's kind of a protection in my mind that they do when they look at their polls and they say, is this feasible? And though they, they make sure that they're, they're waiting in the construction of the poll. They look at it really carefully. They don't manipulate it, but they look at it very carefully to make sure that their numbers aren't out of lockstep with everybody else's.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it is an interest. The phenomenon Stevens talking about is called herding. And it is noted that, pollsters will often find themselves reporting similar results to everybody else because there is a bit of game theory in being a pollster, right? And if you're the one person that's way out there, yeah, there's the chance that you can look like a genius, the only one who called the election, but there's a risk you look like the lunatic who was out there. And every other pollster saw the thing you didn't see. And a lot of pollsters make their living on being hired for all sorts of other things that require accuracy, whether it be kind of consumer mm-hmm. issues or public affairs issues for corporations. So there's there's risk and there's anxiety there. And and it can be disputed how much hurting is an issue in any given campaign. I will say no pollster is going to like being told that they're accused of hurting. That's, yeah. that's considered pretty poor form in polling. But If they are all looking at what everybody else is doing. They're looking at how things are weighted. You can see, because of requirements in elections, how campaign polls are being constructed. And it could be things like, we weighted women this much uh, as part of the composition, and this much of them had to be from Calgary. And ultimately, if every pollster decides to weight the same way, odds are good they're going to end up in the same place. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily weighting in the way that is most reflective of, of, I guess... I wanna say the truth, but that's not quite what I mean. That your choice of weights can really change your insights into an election. And the example I'll give you is in the United States, they wait on race a lot. We never yeah. do that in Canada. That's just not something that happens in Canada. But they do it because in the United States, race is more of a determinant of how you vote. Here it less so historically, right? But if imagine all of a sudden here in Canada, you've got a situation where race does become that determinant. And there are some reasons to believe it might be based on the polling that exists right now between racialized Canadians supporting the NDP two to one over, you know, uh, you know white Canadians. And so it's possible that nobody's doing anything wrong, but by everybody choosing the same weighting and approaching things the same way, they're all getting the wrong result. That is possible. I don't think that's probable. I want to be very clear on that. But it is certainly possible.
0: What about internal polling? We've had a couple audience questions about um, kind of internal polling versus public polling and how much better, Carter.
1: Well, internal polling is way better. Um, How much better? So much better because what you're doing is you're going to pick a couple of bellwether ridings and you're going to do a three-day rolling poll. So Janet Brown's poll is an excellent example. Janet pulled over, I believe it was 10 days in this last one, and she pulled approximately 100 people per night. Um, that would be what we would do in a rolling poll, right? Maybe we'd actually do 300. We'd actually have a larger sample and do 300 per, per night. And what we're going to see is we're going to see averages moving, right? Because we're taking day one, two, and three on the third day, and averaging them, and, and seeing a movement, and then we're taking two, three, and four, and then you know three, four, five, because each day shifts along, and you can start to see trends that emerge that are different, because um, Janet is using a ten-day structure, she's got the numbers from the beginning that may be fundamentally different than the numbers at the end, and she is. Putting them all together in one pool of numbers. So we're doing rolling polls. The other thing that that, that uh, internal polls do is they take bellwether ridings, and they will do bellwether ridings, and they will do spot polls in those bo- bellwether ridings of two, three, four hundred people. Not necessarily to get the three, you know, plus or minus three percent that you're looking for in a publicly released poll, but in a way to just double check how you actually think you're performing in that riding. So you're getting a bunch of data. So polling is only one of your data tools when you're actually doing a campaign. You've got polling data, you've got uh, door knocking data, you've got voter contact data, you've got internet signup data. All these different types of data are then compared to the poll. Are we seeing the same type of shifting? My polling numbers, you know, I've seen a five-point increase since the last time we did a spot check in Calgary Glenmore. You know, how is that related to our actual on-the-ground efforts? And, you know, when I talk to the, the professionals in the campaigns, I'm asking them things like, did you get a full sample of data? Did you get the full community? Did you leave out seniors? Did you leave out the Jewish community? Did you leave out, this? you know, did you leave out... um You know, one particular geographic region that does not fit into your model. All of that, you know, if you do a thousand person poll, you're going to get um, the top line, but you're going to miss all that specific data that you get when you dig in on the, uh, you know, from the campaign's point of view.
2: Well, look, Carter said the magic word, and the magic word in this case was model. And in 2008, one of the things that the Barack Obama campaign was very famous for was reducing their reliance on polling and going more to a modeling-based approach to these things. And what that meant was as they were going out and identifying voters that were voting for Barack Obama, they were running A-B tests, meaning they were putting people through various different samples. You know, some people might get... One set of things, some people; another set of things, including contacts with various people. And they looked at how people reacted relative to expectations, and they looked at what actions had effect relative to other actions. And this was all bolstered, or you know, bolstered by uh, polling. And one of the things that a campaign has that a pollster does not have is this big data solution available to them, where they can say. I have 20,000 data points in Calgary Glenmore. Of the 50,000 people who live in Calgary Glenmore, I know something about 20,000 of Mm -hmm. them. And there's a few things you can do with that information. First, you can just look at the IDs. And you can say, well, that's way more IDs than we got votes last time, and we expect 50% of them to vote. And that's still more than we expected. So we're exceeding it, and that goes into the model, and that feeds a few things. The other thing you can do is you can uh, use that polling to then Call some of the people that you've identified and you can determine how solid your IDs are, right? Are there is 95% of what you're identifying actually true NDP vote if you're the NDP or if you're the UCP, UCP vote. And, um, and that allows you to have another picture as well, because we've talked a lot about this in different contexts, but I often talk about a model of polling called accessibility, viability, intent, Mm -hmm. and we we ask about who would you consider voting for and who do you think is going to win as well as intent when you're a professional political pollster, because we know people lie. (laughs) Intent lies Hmm. to you sometimes. And sometimes people put their intent in a way that they don't actually plan to leave uh, their vote at the end of the day. So we see that whenever you see the Alberta liberal party in a poll getting 5%, no, they're fucking not. There's not even candidates for that to happen there. And I guarantee you at the end of the day, they're going to push their vote somewhere else. And, By asking about viability and accessibility as well, you get a sense of, like, who do you think could win? That's going to determine part of where votes go to. Who would you consider voting for? That's going to define the universe that votes can go to. So by having kind of, you know, you might have intent as a campaign, I guess I'm saying, where somebody says, I'm going to vote for Kerry Cundell in Elbow, right? But with all of your other data points, you might understand, no, they're not. You know, they're gonna say they are, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, when the rubber hits the road, they're gonna vote NDP. Very possible if you're a campaign, a little less realistic if you're a pollster.
0: Okay. One more thing on the internals, then we can talk broader polling. Um, Corey, audience question about internals in 2012.
2: Yeah, that's a super interesting question. So as the liberals, we didn't have a ton of, I don't think we necessarily had any internal polling in that last week, although certainly, like, uh, there's internal polls to the campaign, there are people you know, and organizations you know, who are always polling, people have interest in campaigns that are not necessarily going to mm-hmm. share that information broadly. But you hear things when you work in this industry, when you have connections. Uh, certainly, we were hearing at the time that there was a late switch back to the PCs, would it be enough? We didn't know, but we had heard a little bit about that. And I know from the decades since talking to Stephen, their last polling. Well, I don't yes, you know. Stephen Talker. Right yeah. Stephen, you talk about those oh, internals. Me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did do that. Campaign. Stephen
0: Carter, internals, 2012.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the internals in 2012 were markedly different than the public. Um, First of all, we saw shifting way earlier than anybody else started to see shifting. Um, We knew that the public polling was off uh, because of who they were sampling and how things were coming together. Keep in mind that um, reasons or rationale for voting were shifting dramatically. Uh, You were originally voting to get rid of the PC government. That was your modus operandi. That's why you were voting that way to go to the wild rose. And then we started to see a significant shift where people were now voting to, you know, prevent Danielle Smith from becoming premier. And it shifts the intention, right? So we go back to to Corey's, you know, what is the intent? The way that you choose to vote dictates how committed you are to that vote. Um, David Coletto, And uh, he put forth uh, uh, a theory very early in this campaign about reluctant UCP voters that matched the data that I was producing, that matched the data that the people that I worked with were producing. There was a lot of people who did not want to vote for the UCP. That hasn't changed. But how do they identify when they're actually asked who they're going to vote for? Right? What's the next question? How committed are you to your vote? We're not seeing any of that shit coming out in the public polling right now if our theories are correct about advance polls more people went to the polls for the ndp early why more commitment what's going to happen tomorrow if we see big numbers high commitment if we see lower numbers low commitment we are only going because we don't have access now to the polling that we should have access to you know like the numbers that i'm getting from the from my friends in the various campaigns tell me that the ucp vote less committed the ndp vote more committed. And the best news for the NDP, the best news for the NDP is that the uh, the recent polls do nothing but undermine the commitment to the UCP voter. The, you know, the reluctant UCP voter is going to be going, I don't need to fucking vote for Danielle Smith. My conscience is clear. I don't need to go to the polls tomorrow. Uh, they've got it. They're going to win by, you know, 54, 53 seats. Perfect. I don't need to sully myself with casting a vote for, for that person. And that's where we're really going to see the rubber hit the road. The po- internals tell us that story. That's what they told us in 2015 uh, or 2012. And I suspect that's what they're going to tell us uh, in this particular election when when the uh, campaign professionals are able to start telling their stories.
2: Yeah, I got to say, like, internal campaign <coughs> polls, in my experience, are much more sophisticated in terms of determining who likely voters are. And the questions you would have to ask, it was ever-evolving. It's like anything else in this space. You, you Something works for a while, and then it doesn't, and you have to switch it out. But it would be, it, you don't ask, are you planning to vote? Because yeah. everyone knows they're supposed to vote. Mm-hmm. So everyone says, yeah, I'm going to vote. Or at least far more people claim they're going to vote than actually show up to vote. Instead, you ask questions like, do you know where you vote? And if the answer is no, well, guess what? If it's two days before an election and you don't know where you're going to vote, you're probably not fucking voting, mm-hmm. right? Because we do know that having a plan to vote is a big determinant of whether you show up and vote. It's part of why you've probably seen, if you have engaged with either of these campaigns in any material way, they're texting you saying, hey, make a plan to vote. They want you to kind of put in your mind and your calendar where you're going to vote, when you're going to vote, how you're going to vote. And and so campaigns have more of that information and have a better sense of who's actually going to show up on that day. I did want to say though, before we jump off this, because yes, 2012 was a big polling mess, but there was a real come to Jesus moment in the polling industry overall around that time. This, This was an era that I will call the end of the easy probabilistic poll. So for a while you had really rigorous pollsters who would go in and they would use live callers and they would get you know, if they didn't get a hold of you right away, they would try 10 more times, effectively what Janet Brown does still to this yeah. day, right? Although, you know, with cell phones and whatnot, and it's really truly saying, I randomly picked numbers, now I'm randomly going to try to get people there. And if that's done perfectly, you don't even need to wait things, right? Because you've just got a probabilistic sample. But what happened in the 2000s is IVR became very cheap, and a lot of very low-quality pollsters came around, And all of a sudden, the high-quality ones even had to deal with these low-quality ones undercutting them. So everybody kind of wrecked their standard a bit and started doing things quick and dirty because it seemed to work okay. And you saw through 2008 to 2012 in the United States as well, with the rise of the Tea Party, a number of other things people didn't necessarily see, polling kind of broke. And in 2012 in Alberta, polling was pretty broken. But there has been a bit of a return to that higher-quality standard for some pollsters. There's been increased weight. Uh, use of waiting and understanding of how missing certain demographics can entirely break things, and that if you're going to do that lower quality thing, you've got to do a little bit of waiting because the uh, you know you're not going to get that probabilistic sample the way you used to be able to do it. And polling got better, and we haven't had a truly horrific polling miss on the provincial level since then. And I just I want to put that on the table because I think a lot of people are also searching for like serious amounts of hope where there's maybe. Yeah. Modest amounts of hope but they also, in terms of the numbers. You know,
1: you often talk about 20, uh, 2015 and, and how we were seeing, and we certainly talked about, the NDP winning that election um, and yeah. the pollsters being unwilling or unable to understand their own polls. And, you know, as a direct result, they, they didn't make necessarily the polling miss, but they made the interpretation miss. And that's one of the things that I struggle big, with, big time. with, uh, with pollsters today. They are making enormous. Uh, interpretation misses, you know. Um, and I don't like picking on Janet because Janet's a good friend, and and uh, you know, I, I think she, I think the world of her, and I think the world of her polling structures. But I just, you know, she's out there saying that the uh, it's the NDP doing too much negative polling that's costing them this this election. The, the, negative campaigning. Yeah, I like, mean, right? Yeah. Sorry, did I, I, that's exactly what negative, I said. Right? You said negative polling. Yeah. Well, okay. You, well, you know what I meant. Polling. Um, polling. Polling. So thank you. Um,
0: <laughs> but because what I'm here for, just to interpret what you're saying, Carter. Well, thank you.
1: It's a load of shit. It's an absolute load of shit. There is absolutely no evidence. Because I'll tell you something. I'm not sure if you guys are aware. The UCP have been fairly negative in this campaign. Have you have you seen some of that stuff?
2: I might have seen one or two or, of them. One yeah. or two
1: ads. Um, yep. No one's running around saying that that's potentially costing them a late election. Like if you don't know, like I, I don't talk about what you don't know about. There you go. I'll leave it there. Both words from Stephen Jesus Carter. Carter. Okay. Yeah. On that
0: note, uh, 41 minutes in predictions, it's time. Can
1: we talk about something else, Carter? <laughs> <laughs> what uh, my stomach? But we
0: got to do predictions, and then there's other things. You're what? I mean, you can change this tomorrow when we're discussing it at the at the national intense. Sure, sure. But uh, what? Uh, right now, what are you feeling? What's your prediction?
1: Well, Corey early on said that it was going to be uh, 45 to 42, and uh, I'm still there. Actually, I may have gone up to 46 to 41, just so I could be different than Corey. And my view is for that the, it's NDP. the NDP. For who, for who? For the NDP. You and, think 46 to 41 yeah, for the let NDP? let me walk you through my reasoning. I keep jugging in on the donut. So, uh, you know, and I got pretty good sources on the donut. They're talking to me quite a bit about... Uh, you know about the various riding uh, various areas and for certain the NDP is going to lose um three of them uh although i shouldn't say for certain there's still a little bit of hope in Fort Saskatchewan, uh but, but realistically i think that that's that's just uh hopeful hopefulness because their campaign their candidates very strong and they they don't want to lose uh they don't want to lose her Nonetheless, I think that that's where, you know, you, you know, Lethbridge, no one's gone to Lethbridge. Why has no one gone to Lethbridge? Because it's pretty much wrapped up. Why has no one gone, you know, Banff us at the very end? Because it's at risk. I think that from what we're seeing from the behaviors, it's a, it's an NDP victory with 40, 45 seats, which is basically where I've been from the beginning.
0: You keep changing it. Is it 45 or 46? Yeah, 46.
1: 45 um, <laughs> 45 seats with 46 seats on Thursday. Corey,
0: Corey, What what are what and is I'm whatever type of prediction you want to give us? And my
1: microphone again.
2: <sighs> yeah. Um, so here's my thing. I will eventually get to an answer here, but it's going to sound for a minute like I'm Desperately trying to avoid giving an answer, and I guess maybe I am a little bit. At this point, the polls pretty much all tell a singular story of UCP victory, and nine elections out of ten, that's enough for me, right? You, you say, okay, well, there it is. And it actually takes a certain amount of discipline to just say, there it is. And people do have an awful lot of ability to find reasons why it won't be the case, and nine times out of ten, those people are going to be wrong. I was saying on Twitter the other day, it's kind of like that scene in Anchorman, uh which i believe was a sequel of the movie dave where uh yeah you know it, there's the the character who says, like, uh, you know, those those rating systems are flawed. They don't take into account it houses with more than two televisions and things of that nature. Yeah, if you go into the polls the way Stephen did, you're going to find something wonky in basically every poll, where you're going to go like, eh, I don't know about that gender gap. Really? Is that what you're seeing when you look at that particular demographic? 18 to 24-year-olds are all of a sudden voting UC? I don't think so. But the whole point is, if you take it as a whole mostly those things cancel each other out right like that's the probabilistic nature of this whole game you know big numbers they tend to be pretty precise small numbers wildly imprecise that's polling folks that's the reality so you're going to find some things that you don't like underneath the top lines that's the case but it is really hard for me to set aside everything else you know like the cautious optimism that's leaking out of the NDP campaign in all sorts of ways the the anxiety from people who don't know each other in UCP campaigns locally who are kind of texting randomly being like, I don't know, man, this doesn't feel that great for us. What are you hearing? You know, the X thinks we're doing really well, but I'm less sure about this. And you know, there's, there's an anxiousness that's just sort of there. And when I think about what I know the NDP are doing, which is being incredibly targeted saying, yeah, we're not trying to win all of Southwest Calgary, here's the three ridings we care about in Southwest Calgary, or, you know the way that they are galvanizing an already galvanized base. I think you do have some of the components where, if on Tuesday we wake up to an NDP government, who's actually going to be that surprised, right? I mean, we will clearly say the signs we there, including the literal fucking signs, <laughs> if it if it comes to this NDP government, uh, you know, winning it uh, on Monday. So I, you know, I'm going to leave my prediction where I started it: 45 for the NDP, 42 for the UCP. Because I don't have a fucking clue, and I might as well stick with what I came in then. Because there's just no point in ping-ponging around on these things.
0: You guys are, you're matching. You well, have the same what
1: predictions. Well, we've done we are. There is we've herded our results. Yeah, we have <laughs> herded. <it. laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm okay, you by the way. I came have. back. Fuck.
2: Turned the camera back on,
1: unmuted myself. You're back from the bathroom? Yeah.
2: I should also, I should also note that Stephen is kind of notorious for being wrong when he predicts these things. Now, in fairness,
1: I think that that's actually significantly overblown.
2: mm, I may have missed
1: on Jeb Bush a smidgen. (laughs) A smidgen on Bush, but I think we were all caught off guard by the rise of Trump. mm, uh,
2: Okay, you were not,
1: but you're... you're, Yeah, I I don't want to talk about you and you being right. That's very
2: uncomfortable for me. Makes you upset, I understand. Yeah. Okay,
0: so let's just, um, you guys have put your predictions on the table. Both of you have the same, 45 to 42. Although yeah, we
2: heard it. I like Carter's
0: that. That great. might be 46. Yeah. Um, I'm if, claiming victory if
1: 46 is what I'm saying.
0: I know you. I yeah. know that's what you're doing. Obviously, there will be a lot of time in the days after. There will be a lot of debriefing and analyzing and all that. But if if it's the case and it's that close and it's the the closest election in Alberta's history, what do you think that means for
1: for Albertans? Well, I mean, the simple answer is that the polarization is real. Um, One of the things that ECOS came out with, Frank Graves, uh, was a very interesting kind of look at misinformation. And uh, misinformation was guiding a large percentage of the UCP voters, whereas it was exactly inverted for the NDP. We are, as is happening in the United States and and uh, even elsewhere in Canada, we are moving more and more towards a polarized society with two different realities. And it's not that we look at the same facts necessarily and draw different conclusions, it's that we're looking at different facts, right? So because we're looking at different fact sets, it allows our values to be markedly different, where in the past, we've seen kind of our values come... Uh, closer to the center, right? So that polarization it is problematic, and it would be problematic if it was a small number, um, but it's a big number. It's a lot of people that are uh, falling prey, falling victim, open to—I don't know which words to use. Corey will be more eloquent, perhaps. Um, but the, the, you know, being open to this type of rhetoric is—it—it it, it is defining of your political of our political, uh, tribalism. And that's, it's disconcerting. So hopefully we are able to, uh, figure out some sort of anecdote, but our antidote, but, um, Corey has indicated in previous conversations that, you know, with the rise of social media and such that we're not necessarily in a place where we have the antidote. Um, and it's it's been tricky. So why don't I throw it over to him, much in the same yeah, way Cor- he threw it over Cor- to me. Be
0: be more eloquent, but I guess both ways too. Like your your predictions, obviously, both of you are predicting NDP win. But either either way, if it if it goes either way, and you're looking at three, four, five seats difference, like we've never experienced something like that in Alberta. So what what does that look like? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, Carter's point about the the overall fabric of society is a huge one. And it's one that we do need to come back to regularly uh, for a very long time. And we need to think about it in very active ways, how we how we deal with this problem in a generational sense. So kids are not falling for this when they become adults and they're voting. Because I do fundamentally believe this is going to require shifts in education, shifts in the ways we approach these things from birth effectively. But I want to take a little bit more of an optimistic view here. And that's that, Win or lose, the NDP have made it a competitive election yet again. And Alberta continues to defy, I think, that view of what Alberta was just 10 short years ago. This notion that it is just a conservative place and on the off chance it wasn't going to be conservative, it was going to be even more conservative. But here we are with uh, the NDP, maybe 45% of the vote, maybe 50% of the vote, maybe more. But that... I think that tells you a story about Alberta that shouldn't be glossed over. And I firmly believe as much as Danielle Smith might be a historically um, intriguing candidate that that presents opportunities for the NDP. You said
1: bad, weirdly, historically.
2: (laughs) Yeah, presents some opportunities for the NDP that might not have been there. Otherwise, the reality is, the economy is doing really well in Alberta. The macro conditions lend themselves to a government being reelected. This should have been a cakewalk for a government in a similar position, whether they're in Alberta, Ontario, as it was the case with Doug Ford, BC governments with these kinds of macro conditions win and the NDP have made it competitive. Uh, and yeah, Daniel Smith, big assist in that, but it's not hard for me to imagine four years from now, different economic situation, different leaders, Still, this being a competitive place, and I think one of the really exciting things for me as an Albertan is that this is now a place where we can say things like, "The craziest thing in politics is going to happen." Boy, it's always competitive. Boy, it's always interesting. You know, I did um, uh, election night in 2015. Uh, I was on the CBC panel, and I said at the uh, time on TV
0: or on radio, Corey.
2: On TV, oh, well, yeah, it was a down. better. It was a better time Ooh. for me. I was younger. Yeah, I had more hair. <laughs> I think that was part of yeah. it. Um, I said at the time that Alberta had shifted from being a democracy in theory to a democracy in practice, and we are that's living that line. practice right now. Oh, wow, we and are now in a back? democracy. God. Yeah, I know, that's a really right? good line. <laughs> <Yeah. Ooh. laughs> and, and look, here we are. Um, I am forty-one years old, and I was. Well into my 30s before I saw a change of government in my lifetime. Now we're seeing like one every four years right now, it feels like, Uh, you know, to the NDP, to the UCP, maybe back to the NDP. My kids are growing up in competitive times, and I'm excited by that. And I think that we should all be excited by that. It's a much healthier democracy in many substantive, serious ways.
0: We need applause right there. Uh, Just to to underscore your point, Corey, um, something I saw today that was interesting. In 2012, the NDP got 5% of the votes in Calgary. um, And in 2015, they got 34% in Calgary. So that number in Calgary tomorrow, the fact that 10 years ago it was 5% is... um, is wild um in, t- in terms of what next is there any other things you want to speculate on or predict or say or we'll save that all for after monday
1: i'd like to i'd Carter. like to put something on the table because Do one it. of the qu- you know we saw jim prentice resign uh basically the night that he he didn't win the government well it was the night that he didn't win the government it was, he yeah, walked it up was. to the microphone yep. and was like was in the newsroom that night the yeah. fuck out of here and he was gone um I don't expect that from the leaders. Uh, from either maybe, one? Maybe Danielle if she loses because she knows that her fate will be sealed. But if you're, if you're Rachel Notley and you're looking at this uh, UCP, the words that we've heard going around the UCP is that they're going to go to civil war with themselves. And that's going to happen regardless if it's a win or a loss. And six front months from now, when Danielle Smith has to face uh, a leadership review... Even when she, even though she had won the election, I don't expect her to win that leadership review. And then, if she doesn't win that leadership review, I expect a further right candidate f- from David Parker's Take from Back TBA, Alberta um... to come in. And then maybe, maybe I'm just throwing it out there because we haven't seen any indication of this, but maybe at that point, a couple of the conservative MLAs uh, develop a backbone. Uh, conscience, sense of right or wrong, or something along those lines and may have to stand outside of it. And if we're, if Corey and I are wrong on our 45, 42, you know, 42 for the NDP, we're probably not that wrong on 45, 42. Um, We're probably not that far off on how big the, the, the margin of victory is. And we could be back doing this within a year. And so if you're Rachel Notley, that might be another opportunity for her to lead into the next election, um, when you know traditional intelligence would be you know get out, get out quickly. Um, that may not be the case given the uh, the, the 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 nature of of the uh, of the problem here in Alberta. Do you agree, Corey?
2: No, I I don't. I think that he's right about what could happen in terms of a total collapse and us being back in an election in a year but realistically well rachel notley certainly has the ability to stay on as long as she wants she has you talked about the percent from four to five percent to 34 percent to potentially closing in on 50 percent in calgary i guess we'll see tomorrow like she has the authority to do it But, um, you know, realistically, would you want to stick around if you were her for yet another kick on the can? I think more about like what she might want to do, and she'll have to make that decision herself. I'm sure her party will support her either way because of what she's done for them and what she's created. But I I certainly, I guess what I would say is if I were the NDP, I wouldn't count on Rachel Notley to save me, right? If the NDP don't lose, they've got to be thinking about their future in a more long-term sense too, and what it's going to take to be competitive for the long-term.
1: Yeah, Lou, Lou, if you're listening... Lou, don't don't listen to Corey. Okay, listen to me. The province is at stake. Thank you. <laughs> Fuck, okay, Corey. I have to put in all these little disclaimers and stuff. You now? Okay, gonna, yeah,
0: we're gonna move into our lightning round, our rapid fire e day eve lightning round. So I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. You can answer them. The First national on
1: 10th Avenue at 8 p.m. <laughs> First one.
2: CBC Radio One, <laughs> anywhere in the province of Alberta. Okay.
1: Stephen Carter, will this be the
0: close, closest election in Alberta's history? Yes. Corey? <sighs>
2: I, yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm scanning back through them all. I guess the answer is yes. Depends on what you count as close, like as close in seats. Seeds. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Seats, seats, seats. If you're talking about like the number of votes to potentially flip it to a different outcome. No seats. Maybe not.
0: Um, okay. What was the best ad you saw during the campaign, Corey?
2: I think it was the NDP ad that they've been closing out with where it had like these stickers flying onto the screen of various views of Danielle Smith that ultimately became the picture of Danielle Smith that said when somebody tells you who they are, believe them and then used her own words. I think that um, that had the ability to both bring in, it's clearly Danielle Smith seeing it, plus a whole swath of, uh, you know, of not even charges, like things that she said in a rather rapid-fire format. I, it, when you think about what the NDP are tried to do, that was a well-constructed ad.
1: Carter, best ad? I think that actually the NDP, or the UCP's brochures, where they've been uh, just picking apart Rachel Notley and coming after her with the made-up stories, um, you know, 185,000 jobs lost, making it about the economy. They've been really, they've been really focused on their print game, at least, uh, if not necessarily uh, some of their other stuff.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Well, well I was going to. They ask- have been much more disciplined on on that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, I was going to say best mailer, but you just kind of said it. I okay. really like that arena mailer, Corey. Did do you have like a favorite the arena mailer? I did not like. I loved it. Okay. I loved it because yeah. they said literally one month before it went out, this is not an election thing, and then they sent a mailer
1: about it. So you Corey, do you have a favorite mailer? That. That's interesting. I did not believe that <laughs> when on you lives. when you like Corey this, you, this can this you is, be? Is it Corey, I, Is it a floating naivete or is it a stock? Corey, is it kind of what was your favorite K, mailer?
2: My favorite. That's a tough one because I've only seen the mailers that have. Hey, oh, two two things make that tough for me. One is I'm not in a swing riding. I live in Calgary Mountain View. I live in the community of Cha. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody thinks that day <laughs> is going no one anything calls but NDP. Nobody thinks Mountain View is going anything but NDP. So campaigns aren't generally bombarding us on either side, right? The other is I have a community mailbox. So it's very easy for me just to eliminate that kind of stuff before I even see it. So all I've seen is what's come through the the Twitter sphere, what I've seen online that people have posted. And yeah, I actually do think that the uh, UCP has has generally been quite consistent on their message they've done a good job of framing things on the economy their their attacks on the nDP are economic attacks It's very on message with where I think the u c p needs to be um but uh yeah i th- with the heavy proviso, I have not seen a lot of it to be frank
0: okay what about um worst ads or mailers? Does one stick out as being the worst that you've seen
1: uh elections Alberta where they said you needed to bring your i d to uh, the polling station. If you didn't have yeah. ID, you couldn't vote. I think that that was Not true. The, well, I know, like but that. that was the worst. That was the worst mailer that I saw this campaign. Yeah. It you're saying from, it was bad because
0: yeah. it was not true.
1: Well, because, you know, you just can't make up new rules. You are supposed to, especially if you like Elections Alberta, you're supposed to follow the rules that were constructed for you. And uh, being called out by Andrew Leach every day doesn't really, you know, bolster confidence in the organization.
0: Corey, do you have yeah, a word? So-
2: the signs <laughs> well, I on Deerfoot. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say those at, like, so the vouching and attestation uh, ability to vote is, is part of it. So even if you don't have photo ID, you can go with somebody in your poll and you can vote. You can do an attestation. You can vote. There are ways to vote. It is still generally easier with photo ID. So by all means, if you have photo ID, go and vote, but go and vote. Like, don't be dissuaded. I think actually my concern with Elections Alberta, the ID thing was annoying to me, but the one that really bothered me was this implication that you should register to vote in advance. And yes, that no doubt makes it easier for the the whole system and everything smoother on Election Day. You can show up. As long as you meet the eligibility requirements, you can just show up and you can vote. And I can't imagine you're listening to this podcast and you don't already know that, but try to spread the word. Make yep. sure people know that they should exercise their, their um, franchise here. It's really, really important. In terms of ads that I think are mm, not so great, the ad that I continue to think was, I really, really didn't like, and, and they did drop it. And I guess I can sort of understand the strategy they were doing. But was the UCP ads just before the writ dropped that were all about healthcare that were these mm-hmm. big t- conversations and commitments to healthcare? The the one in particular of uh, Danielle Smith and her team walking zombie like towards the camera, uh, saying, "Hey, you're never going to have to pay for these things," but in in a way that kind of raised the charge. I think was was just fundamentally not well thought out. And I would imagine that some, uh, you know, tall strategy forehead somewhere said, we're going to do this before the election. We're going to inoculate ourselves. Then we're only going to talk about the economy going forward. So maybe it was their plan. I still don't think it was a good one. I really didn't like that ad.
0: Okay. Uh, What about endorsement? What's your favorite endorsement? God. You got to pick one, Carter. Do I
2: have to pick
1: my favorite endorsement? Yes, you have to. A sliding round rapid fire. You Uh, must answer. Favorite endorsement. Corey endorsed my capacity uh, to run a campaign. Corey, what's your favorite endorsement?
2: I believe that the best endorsement, as much as we say endorsements didn't matter, was uh, was Stephen Harper. And I'm cribbing a little bit from Jeremy Farkas on this one. Uh, And so I'm going to give full credit here. But... Where conservatives may have had problems with Danielle Smith and said, I just don't know if I can trust her. She seems really out there. Having somebody that a lot of the conservative establishment perceives as fairly mainstream and saying, yeah, don't worry about it. It's actually fine. It's still mainstream enough. That matters. Now, I think a lot of us can have different views of Stephen Harper, and particularly his post-prime ministerial career and his involvement in foreign elections and, you know, his, you know, his, his good autocratic friends in various yeah. regions, but... I think for the average voter, he's still Stephen Harper, middle of the road, prime minister, a guy who looked like he was like from a British drama about a Canadian government, you know, (laughs) like, it's just like, he just was like kind of this boring state looking guy. And I think that boring and state is exactly what the UCP need.
0: Okay. Uh what about our live show? Remember that one two months ago when Carter had that really long PowerPoint and you guys both had strategies for the for Corey you yeah. did UCP, Carter you did NDP. Yeah. Is there anything in your um your strategy? I mean you guys know them inside and out, you spent hours and hours working on them. Is there anything in your strategy you wish the campaign either campaign like would have would have listened to and would have done over the past
1: twenty eight days? Oh, I don't know. Tried to win, maybe. What? Um, <laughs> what? What? Oh, Carter, what did I say?
2: I don't even know who you're t- throwing that at right well, now. I mean,
1: the, I, here's my problem. I don't think that the NDP used every tool in their toolkit. I think that they they did go exceptionally negative on on the uh, on the UCP and on Daniel Smith, and I'm not sure that they pulled. Everything out that they could have. I, I still think that, you know, I was really focused on individual accountability uh, for their campaign. I still think that they are disconnected um, from what's actually happening on the ground. And that just brings me a little bit of concern. Now, I do think they did a better job than maybe I was worried about.
2: But. Yeah. Well, when I think about the advice that I gave to the UCP, honestly, I think it, it holds up pretty well. They probably didn't do as much of a job or as clear of a job as I would have recommended to them about tying um, you know all of the unpopular actions they have had to take to that NDP term. Certainly, they said an awful lot about how bad they perceived 2015 to 2019 to be. But for me, that missing piece of the argument was to say, and that's why we had to do all of that shit you didn't like with healthcare, with education. And I think that was an important part of the argument that they didn't put on the table as strongly as, as they should have.
0: Okay. Um Favorite campaign promise?
1: Oh, well, the arena, for sure. I'm really a really big fan. I think that... <laughs> That's really going to do some great stuff,
0: Corey. Your favorite campaign promise?
2: Uh, My, it's not my personal. It's not like the thing that I, as a voter, would be most intrigued by. But I think the best campaign promise was the first one that Danielle Smith made, which was offering to reduce income taxes for huge swaths of Albertans. Just gave a foundation for so much of that economic conversation that the UCP have tried to cede.
0: Okay, what a really good one for the (laughs) NDP. About that answer.
2: It would have been a good one for the NDP, <laughs> like a version of it. I think like if I were the NDP, I would have lowered at the low end and maybe even raised at the higher end and said, yeah, let's do this. Let's have the UCP argue for lower taxes for people over 150000 Brought in, you know, really weakened the UCP on some of those economic things.
0: Okay. Uh, what about biggest biggest surprise of the campaign?
2: No, it's easy for me. The ethics commissioner report, I did not think we were going to see it when we saw it. And I guess I will say that the next biggest surprise was how little anybody seemed to fucking care about that. I still think that is an enormous deal that we had an ethics commissioner condemn the actions of a premier, calling them, you know, calling actions like that a threat to democracy. A threat to democracy. Unbelievable. And the
1: fact that, um, you know, the NDP just kind of walked past it in the debate. I mean, I get you. I get that the debate was locked. I get that it was it's going to be tricky to open it back up again. But man, there's some low hanging fruit in life, and and sometimes you just got to take the low hanging fruit. Okay,
0: uh, best laugh. What's your like? What's something that Yours, was really Annalise? funny? Oh no, no, that was funny during the campaign. Um, best laugh.
1: I haven't laughed mm. for about three weeks. Um, <laughs> It's a little tricky. Uh, Corey, you got anything?
2: No, you know, we're no, missing that no, one no. great moment, like uh, in 2012 with Danielle Smith's bus. Oh, that was with great. the unfortunate <laughs> placement of the wheels, the boob bus it was that's called. Great. If you're not familiar with this, you should Google it. Yeah, look that um, up. I'd probably have to look back on it. That's not something I've been sitting tracking, being like, oh, that's a new best laugh, right? But there were funny moments. There were weird moments that made me chuckle. But uh, I can't think of any standouts right now.
1: Okay, last I've been mostly question. In tears, so it's been tricky. You've been in
0: tears <laughs> and in the bathroom, Carter. Yeah. Last question. What time do you think <laughs> we
1: will know results tomorrow? Like.
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't know when it's going to be called. I'm still yeah. confused
1: on how it all works, to be honest. So they're hand counting tomorrow? Is that, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense I'm to me. I'm a little
2: confused as well. Okay. Like My understanding is, so the advanced ones are all going to come in pretty instantly. Yeah. But then there is kind of the old school way that's got to go through for Why? some of this here. Why did they like do
0: what, one what, method what one time day? What time do we think the first outlet calls it?
1: First outlet calls it at 9.14. Okay. And it's incorrect because the first outlet to call it will be the Western Standard. This <laughs> <laughs> t- I like then. that answer okay. a
2: lot. That's really good. Corey,
1: what's what's your
0: answer? When does the first aleck call it?
2: Well, I just said I think it's going to be close. And so if I'm going to be consistent with that, I think we're waiting up. I think it's 1045. Oh, my it's God.
1: I'm planning it's going to be, be a long night bed. for you on Holy the radio there, Corey.
0: Shit.
2: Hey, that's okay. That's okay. I can carry it. There's some other people there too, but I can I can carry it. Don't worry about me.
1: Guys, can I okay. let you guys in on a little bit of what's happening here at Shea Carter uh, behind <laughs> the scenes? I was rushing to get into the computer and I did not bring my water with me. And as you guys would imagine, I'm a little dehydrated because of what's going on. And so I have been texting Heather. I have texted Heather. I bet you 15 messages. I forgot my water. Could you bring me a cup? I'm, I'm dying here. Water, please. Barely able to speak. Throat is constricting. Please, God. Water. 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 Lips cracking. How many responses do you think I've gotten from her? What? Zero. Where, has, where is she? What is she doing? Know. I can hear her in the fucking house. She's here somewhere. I'm sure the dogs needed attention or something like that. The dogs ran out of water or something. Dying here. You've, you've got friend. a tough okay. life, Carter. We're,
0: Any of those times you turned off your camera, you could have just. No, I can't because, gotten because gotten the water. static electricity
1: <laughs> kills the microphone. Corey knows it. It's a whole thing. It's, it's, it's okay. Okay, Oof. guys.
0: Tomorrow. Is that it? That it? those hey, are all of Corey, my rapid fire
1: questions. Just take a moment uh, and thank analysts. Carter and I will see some people at national, and uh, if energy. not. They'll listen to, to Corey tonight's podcast on the radio. The energy is spectacular, Annalise. I think I just feel like
2: I'm in a Robert Altman film now. <laughs> really? He was the director of Dave. If you, yeah, you need if to look, look, look him up.
1: Him up. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll have to do that.
0: Uh, we're gonna leave it there.
2: Uh, Are we? Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're so. gonna
0: leave it there. Boy, this
2: is our strongest ending ever. I think <laughs> that's a
0: good. wrap on episode 1068 of The Strategist. I'm your host Annalise Clingbeill. I some with water? you as always, like, Stephen yeah. Carter and Corey Hogan.
1: Jeb Bush needs to survive this primary and p- compete in a general. Jeb Bush is not surviving this primary. He's totally surviving this primary. Mark it down on your calendar, okay? Steven Carter said, so, today, so hold on, hold on. Jeb Bush is the guy.